My name is Scott Gilliland. It's a joy to be with you this morning in worship. Normally, I am over at 930 in Asbury Hall with my wife, Reagan Gilliland, who's also a pastor here, and we lead a service called Thrive, but I'm thrilled to be in with you in the sanctuary this morning. I want to say thank you to Stan for inviting me to preach, and he's enjoying a well-deserved week off this morning. We continue in a sermon series for this season of Lent, this season of preparing for the Easter Sunday experience. Um, And this season of Lent, we're looking at scriptures that come to us from our lectionary readings. And as we prepared for this sermon series, we noticed that many of the readings in the lectionary this year dealt with the common theme of emptiness. And so we have a series called From Empty to Overflowing, because we noticed that in these scriptures that talk about empty places, people emptying themselves, this theme of emptiness, it's in those places, in those stories, in those people that God gets to work, and God's work of redemption is put on display. And so we hope that these sermons are life-giving for you this season of Lent. We continue today in the series in Psalm 63. And the book of Psalms is a book of songs, so to speak, songs that have been used for century, millennia, by both the Jewish and Christian church. And Psalm 63 is a special one. It's kind of unique. Every psalm is written from the perspective of somebody, and Psalm 63 is written as a psalm of David. And David, of course, we're not meant to believe he wrote the song himself, but we're meant to understand it as though he is the one singing the song for us this morning. But it's where David is singing this song that I think might be most important. David is not singing this song as king. In fact, this is supposed to take place before he is a king. The songwriter writes this psalm from the perspective of David in the wilderness, on the run from King Saul. And king Saul and David know that David is supposed to be king, but King Saul, like most kings, is not too happy about giving up his throne or his power or his glory. And so in response, he begins to hunt David down. And David flees to the wilderness or more correctly, the desert of the Judean landscape. It's harsh, it's dry, and it's hot. And it's there that David sings this song of praise. So maybe you're already thinking, how can someone sing a song of praise when they're being hunted to death in the desert? And that's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning as we begin to prepare ourselves to hear this scripture and as we talk about it, I want us to ask this question. When we are in the empty wilderness, when we're in those seasons of life that feel empty and desolate, why is worship so important? With that in mind, let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks for a sanctuary to call home. We give you thanks for your streams of mercy in our life. God, as the great songwriter, won't you tune our hearts to sing your grace? Allow these words that we are about to hear to leap off the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts that they might change the way that we live. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray and we say, Amen. Let's rise as we're able in body and spirit for reading of God's word this morning found in Psalm 63. 
The psalmist says this, O God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is as satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadows of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. And you may be seated. question to start our time together today. Have you ever felt thirsty? I think we all might this morning. Not just thirsty in the way of your throat being a little parched like mine is right now. Or I mean really thirsty. I mean really, really thirsty, church. I mean mouth so dry you can barely talk spots in your eyes. Do anything for a sip of water thirsty. The last time I remember being that thirsty was in high school. And if you know Texas high schools, you know that we take something very seriously here in Texas. And every summer, about a month before school starts, students have to hit the field and begin practices in a hundred plus degree heat. I am, of course, referring to two a days for marching band. <laughs> you thought I was talking about football, didn't you? Ha ha ha. Very funny. No. Have you seen the grown men disguising themselves as boys who play football in high school in Texas? No, 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 no. I found my way to the band hall very quickly in junior high. Thank you very much. And besides church, I'll have you know, drumline is very tiring too, okay? When you're a sophomore in high school and you are skinny as a rail, 150 pounds, if you just ate a big meal, you're carrying the biggest bass drum your school has to offer. It's jet black and it's 120,000 degrees outside. You get really thirsty, I remember when we would take water breaks. I mean, we all drink water every day, right? Water doesn't taste like anything. It's tasteless. That's kind of water's thing. I'm water. I don't taste like anything, right? But when you're really thirsty, and I mean really, really thirsty, wimpy high school student in the middle of the summer carrying a bass drum on a hot Texas day, thirsty, you can like taste the water. You know what I'm talking about? And right before you drink the water, right at your peak level of thirst, when there is nothing else in God's green earth, nothing else on your mind that you want except, Lord, give me a taste, just a drop of that life-giving, delicious water. That is how the psalmist says we should feel about God. 
Oh God, the psalmist says, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And while my story of thirsting in drumline in high school is silly and funny, David's situation is no laughing matter. David is thirsting to the point of death. He's in the desert, in the heat, in the drought, in the dryness, struggling to survive in a place where survival is not guaranteed. Have you ever been in a place like David where thirsting was no laughing matter? Have you been there? When unemployment lingered longer than you thought that it would? When a relationship fell apart with no hope for repair? When someone that you loved deeply was hurting and you couldn't do anything to fix it? Have you been to the desert? I think of a moment for Reagan and me. During our long walk through infertility before Andy... And if you or someone you know has ever been through infertility, you know it can feel like a desert, endless and punishing and a struggle to survive. And then a couple of years into struggling to have a child, Reagan took a test and it came back positive. And we were thrilled, to say the least. Like a flood, all these things came rushing back in, all these thoughts that we thought we couldn't think, all these things we thought we couldn't talk about. They came rushing back in. Who should we tell? When is it due? What names sound nice? When should we start to work on the nursery? And then a couple days later, I woke up to the sound of my wife sobbing. That's a sound I'll never forget. And a pit formed in my stomach that would be there for a very long time because I knew that something was terribly wrong. We learned that what we had was a chemical pregnancy. For those who don't know, it's when the woman's body thinks that it's pregnant for a few days, and you can even take a test and it'll come back positive because all the right chemicals are there, but then within a few more days, it's clear that the answer is really no. And as a couple who had been receiving no as our answer for month after month for a couple of years, this one hurt more, it felt emptier, more hopeless than the ones that we'd received before. So I know what it's like to ache in your body because you thirst in a spiritual sense. You know, water is fundamental to survival. It's fundamental to human life. Without it, we simply cannot live. And that is how I felt about raising a family. And that is how the psalmist says we ought to feel about God. But I'll be honest, church. Can I be honest this morning? Can we be honest this morning if we can't say amen? Good, I'm glad that we can be an honest church. I'll be honest, in that moment of grieving again, the hope of a pregnancy, the last thing that I wanted to do that next Sunday was come to church and sing praises to God. The last thing I wanted to do was sing hallelujah because I was mad. I was hurt. I was enraged by my circumstances in my life. 
I was in the desert, believe me, but I was not praising God. I was lost. Have you ever been lost in the desert? The psalmist continues with words that challenged me this week, but words that ultimately have become a stream in the wilderness that I will seek out when I find myself lost in the desert again. Hear these words. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I bless you as long as I will live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. There's one line in particular that just it just gets me. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. These are words that sat and sat and sat on my heart this week as I remembered all those times that I've refused to worship out of protest for the pain my life was causing me. It's one of those lines that can easily pass us by, I think because we've heard something like it so many times in the Christian faith. But let me read it again and rephrase it slightly, and I want you to really listen and see if it floors you the same way that it does me. My lips will praise you, the psalmist says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Church, we worship an unconditional God. Amen? A God whose love is not based on good behavior. It's never biased against us. A love that literally fights hell for us. A love that is willing to die for us. An unconditional love. And I'm listening to the words of the psalmist, and I'm thinking of all those times where God's love has proven faithful time and time and time again. When God had loved me out of the desert of isolation in my youth, when God had loved me out of the desert of directionlessness in college, when God had loved me out of the desert of meaninglessness in my young adulthood, time after time after time, when I found myself in a desert, when I was thirsting and dying and wondering where God was, like a flood, God's love would show up in my life unconditionally, overflowing into the life of this messy and broken and foolish and stubborn and arrogant and selfish young man. Time and time again, God's unconditional love arrived not when I wanted it or when I thought that I needed it, but when I needed it most. Time and time again, this unconditional God and God's unconditional love had been proven greater and stronger and able to redeem everything in my life. As the psalmist says, God's steadfast, God's unconditional love is better than life, church. Amen? And in return for this unconditional love, I chose to offer conditional worship. In return for this unconditional love, I chose to offer conditional worship. A worship conditional on my condition. A worship conditional on my circumstances. A worship conditional on my understandings. A worship conditional on my present. 
this week, I'm sitting in my office and I'm preparing for this sermon and I am just absolutely crushed by the Holy Spirit because I'm realizing something. So many times in my life, I have offered conditional worship to an unconditional God. Are you like me? Have we ever been guilty of offering conditional worship to an unconditional God? You know, and then I hear David's song. And I see David in the desert. And David can sing with parched, dry lips. Can you see how cracked they are? And I can hear his wheezing, sand-filled lungs. And he's singing. Not because everything is going right, but because he knows and he trusts that with God everything will be made right. He's looking at his life through the eyes of God. He's seeing the bigger picture. He's praising God not for the desert that he's in, but for the kingdom of God that God is building. He's praising God, not for the life that he might lose, but for the eternal life that he's already gained. He's praising God, not for the water that might touch his lips, but for the stream of mercy that has long nourished his soul. Those are things, church, that no one, not even King Saul, can ever steal from him. They are things that are worthy of our worship, even in the wilderness. So speaking of King Saul, this brings us to the violently graphic little ending that we have to an otherwise beautiful psalm. Yeah. But those who seek to destroy my life, it says, shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. My favorite line, they shall be prey for jackals. It's a little over the top. You're allowed to chuckle. The king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Those who seek to destroy David's life is a reference to King Saul, the king who's hunting him down. And when we go back and we read 1 Samuel, the Old Testament chronicling of David's early life, we find that the psalmist is essentially telling this part of the story through an artistic lens King Saul did end up losing his life uh, over to the power of the sword. He died on the battlefield. And his body was prey for jackals. If you go back and read the end of 1 Samuel, this is not one for the grandkids. King Saul's body is desecrated by his enemies. But rather than getting lost in the graphic nature of Saul's demise, I want to call our attention to a simple truth that I hear the psalmist leading us towards this week. When our life becomes an act of worship, we begin to truly live. Here you have David, imperfect and flawed as he may be. But David understood that in his life, Worship of God was like water. He needed it to survive. Before anything else in his life, worship of God had to come first. And then you've got King Saul, 
more interested in his power and his throne and his glory, cutting himself off from God out of anger, and it leads to his death. I think the psalmist is reminding us in Psalm 63 that when we cut ourselves off from God, even in moments of heated and righteous anger, we're cutting ourselves off from something and someone who is the essence of life. And while people can find many things in this life apart from God, power and money and fame, when we live with God, when our life becomes an act of worship, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout our life, true life begins. It reminds me of another one of our great songs found in our hymn book by Robert Robinson. And it says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, that's a chain if you don't know, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Church, my prayer for us this morning and this week Prayer is that in our lives that we may find worship. Whether we find ourselves in the desert or in the plain, in the mountain or the valley, on the throne or on the battlefield. Let us live as an outpouring of God, of, to the God of all hope who steadfastly, unconditionally loves us. And in our worship, let us find our life. Amen.